0: you lower your guard, you open up to them, you start sharing deep intimate things with them and you begin to trust them. And this is where we fall in deep quickly and that their hooks get dug in even deeper because we need to remember that true love and true trust is earned over time, not within 30 to 60 days or however long they choose to love bomb you. Hey, I'm Regina Marie. I started this podcast to share with other survivors what has helped me heal from my untold stories about surviving my past abusive relationships. And since abuse knows no gender, age, race, or religion, allow this to become your roadmap to start healing from your abusive trauma today. You wanna know it's beautiful, seeing your self-love grow right in front of your gorgeous face. And pretty soon, you'll be saying things like, But remaining loyal to you after you mistreat me is called trauma bonding. And that's not what I'm doing anymore. Welcome back to my Healing Village podcast, episode eight. Today's topic is going to be about the love bombing phase. Fairly short episode, but we're going to go into what happens internally, how we can recognize it, and what we can do about it. So essentially, the love bombing phase is the chemistry of love, right? This is where attraction and attachment is first set. This is the foundation for the rest of the relationship. Now, the first sign of love bombing that happens internally are the butterflies. That's how we feel. That's a physiological symptom that we feel. However, we've been conditioned to believe that butterflies mean love, or in other words, chemistry. And chemistry is where it gets a little scientific. And having that butterfly chemistry isn't necessarily a good thing. It means your central nervous system is being dysregulated and is recognizing subconsciously behaviors or as pheromones that you grew up with from your emotionally dysregulated or abusive caregiver that you don't consciously recognize and are aware of that's even happening. You're being attracted to what you know as normal and safe when really it's toxic. But what do we do? What do we do when we crave contact with that object of our affection? Now, this is where we get a little sciencey, so bear with me. I'm only going to have a few words and I'm still learning how to pronounce, but it helps when a name is put to the face so that you really understand what's happening on a deeper level. There are certain areas of the brain that light up when experiencing love in its various stages. So even when we look at pictures of our beloved compared to pictures of those we don't have those feelings towards, the same areas of the brain light up just as intense as if we were with them in person. This is a big sciencey word. The ventral tegmental area, which is called the codus nucleus accumbens, promise us as sciencey as it's going to get. These are key players in our drive that seek out that rewarding, pleasurable behaviors. These are implicated in addictions. The same areas of the brain of those in love light up as the same for those with cocaine addictions. There's actually a great overlap of classic reward areas in the brain involved in sexual arousal, love and attachment, and drug addiction. They lie deep in the limbic brain. So when they're activated, oh, our brain is bathed in dopamine. As we know, our brain is split into two parts, right? We have the right and the left. The right is more of the feelings, the creativity, the imagination, your holistic thinking, and the left is your logic, reasoning, planning, and analytic thought. Now, it's believed that the right hemisphere is the seat of love, right? That's where your feelings, your imagination, all of that lies. So let's talk about the early stages of love, what we experience during that love bombing phase. This is when dopamine is released, the love drug, which is why it's comparable to feeling high because it can seem addictive. Now, I personally have never taken any drugs like that that get me high, but love is, or at least the dopamine is the closest I've ever gotten. It seems addictive because it's a stimulant. And stimulant drugs work because they flood your brain with dopamine. And in doing so, it gratifies the reward and motivation areas of your brain. So why wouldn't you want to keep doing that, right? You keep chasing after the high. So outside of love, we can see that as, oh, we love winning races, or we love to get that pat on the back, right? We're striving for that high. Even in our childhoods growing up, we're striving for that, good job from our parents. We're striving for the acknowledgement. We're striving for being seen. All of that is that little release of dopamine every time we get that high, that intermittent positivity reinforcement. Okay. So this is something that we have been conditioned as kids that we don't even realize It's now becoming a pattern in our adult relationships. So falling in romantic love has a great deal in common with using cocaine. You begin to feel euphoric when the brain cranks up that dopamine dial. You're giddily happy, even you're full of energy, similar to the effect of caffeine, cocaine or Ritalin. And I just started taking pre-workout. So that's maybe the closest I have now where I can feel my body freaking out, but that's the closest I have is for that little bit of caffeine. But if you can relate to that, and I know most of you in this have been love bombed and you can understand that high that you feel. Now you begin to feel more intensely emotional, you're restless, you're excited. You feel like you may not need to even eat or sleep as much and you become intensely fixated on the source of your pleasure and you crave, crave, crave more. That can come from craving more texts, that can crave from having more FaceTime or seeing them in person, taking things to the next level quicker than you normally would because they're bathing your brain in that dopamine every time that they return that energy too. So from the moment you first started to fall in love, Sizzles of dopamine begin stroking your central reward area, waking it up, turning it on, causing intense emotional pleasure and pain in their presence and craving one thing: emotional union with your beloved. That's when you get hooked. That's when, particularly for this podcast, the narcissist feels like they have you hooked, or the abuser. As your dopamine levels rise, falling in love also drops your serotonin levels. So serotonin is the neurotransmitter largely responsible for feelings of peace or satisfaction or well-being. Typically what falls into it when you go into more of the long-term relationship, right? Everyone's like, oh, the honeymoon phase is over. Now things are quote unquote normal. And that's when people start being like, why am I in love anymore? Because they're not feeling those butterflies. They're not feeling that intense high anymore. So as intense honeymoon romantic love increases your dopamine levels while decreasing your serotonin levels. Got that? When serotonin drops, you feel anxious. So this is the honeymoon phase. When your serotonin levels down and your dopamine is high, you're feeling anxious, agitated, restless. You have a tendency to be obsessive, compulsive, and impulsive. And people chase that. That's what they have started acknowledging and recognizing as what love is. And it's not. It's not. Now, the decrease in serotonin associated with romantic love is likely responsible for both the obsessive thinking and the impulsivity associated with it. So this love cocktail, the high dopamine and low serotonin gives you that love high. When you get a sign that the person you love, loves you in return, pleasure feels more vivid. You become entirely focused on your lover where you may feel distracted or have a tough time sleeping. You think about them obsessively and you become single-minded in your desire to be with them, to connect with them and you become bonded to them. Now, not all bonds are bad. There's a difference of becoming bonded to someone and then becoming trauma bonded to someone. We will get more into the trauma bond when we talk about the devalue phase in the next podcast. Right now, we're just focused on the love bombing phase, how they're even putting those hooks in you. Okay. So the new lover, yourself, daydreams at work. You fantasize about the next encounter. You're planning trips and outings when you should be working. You experience a surge of giddy excitement when you guys call each other or when you get a text from the object of your affection. Now, the absence of contact or any indication that your lover is pulling away sends you into an emotional tailspin, which again will be talked about further in that devalue podcast. While you're in the love high, you want to stay up all night talking, making love. You'll drop everything, your work, your hobbies, other relationships for a chance to be with your cherished person. You may become impulsive, calling randomly, showing up with gifts, spending too much money. You internalize your lover. You replaying conversations in your head or you're thinking of things that you want to share with them. And as this takes place, ancient areas in the limbic brain sparkle and writhe in dopamine soaked delight. And the hooks are dug in even deeper and deeper. And this can go on for a month. They could love bomb you for two months. I've been love bombed for a year before before the devalue phase began. Honestly, there is no rhyme or reason to it, but what happens is still the same. But when it comes to how long, it's however long they want to keep the mask on. And that is just narc preference, I suppose. Now, when we put this to use with an abusive or narcissistic relationship, the narcissist will place you on that pedestal by giving you compliment after compliment, validating your experiences by saying F you to those who've criticized you or hurt you in the past, They're also going to mirror back to things that you like or that you enjoy. They open up to you, ask you a lot of questions as well. They become super vulnerable to show that they trust you so that in return, you lower your guard. You open up to them. You start sharing deep, intimate things with them and you begin to trust them. And this is where we fall in deep quickly and that their hooks get dug in even deeper Because we need to remember that true love and true trust is earned over time, not within 30 to 60 days or however long they choose to love bomb you. But during this phase, you may see some colors of them showing, not necessarily where their mask is slipping, but where they're a little bit more human, right? So they start telling you things that have upset them, things about their abusive history. They may also talk to you about their ex-partners who have done them wrong in the past or how they were raised with emotionally absent or abusive parents. And all of those things may be true, but the way that they're using it is for the manipulative tactic to have you feel sorry for them, to pull and tug at your heartstrings for your empathic nature, and to get you to be like, oh, this guy or this girl, they've been through the ringer. I'm not going to be that. You know, I'm not going to participate in those past behaviors. I'm going to be different. I'm going to show them how different I am, that they can trust me. And you start trying to be this person that they've placed you on this pedestal. Well, I hope they're this person that's not going to break my heart and not going to do this. And then you're trying to meet that standard. Now, you might be saying like, well, I share stuff with them too. And I kind of do some of those things too. Well, sure. But that's the kicker. I mean, you're trying to match their energy. Okay. Now, here's the kicker, though, it progresses to future faking. So future faking is when they start making plans with you early on. Guys, they don't even know you that well yet. And they're already making Plans for trips to go on a wine tour via horseback with you, to compete in Spartan runs with each other, or drive through the beautiful Vermont foliage together. I mean, once you see where they're at, it's only natural for you to want to match their energy. You want to kind of keep this going to keep that high so you can join in the fun. You naturally and instinctively do this to keep the dopamine levels flowing because it feels incredible. It feels real. It feels like you finally found someone that you could be truthfully and honestly, that you could spend your life with, who you're compatible with on so many levels, if not every level, that's the red flag. So I went on a date a few weeks ago with a guy who kept saying over and over, and I had just given him my number that morning, and it was literally four hours later, and he kept saying, I'm just so giddy around you. I feel butterflies. I don't know why I'm so nervous around you. And after all of my research and having gone through this myself on it with many guys in the past, I immediately knew. And I even told him, I know I'm not a bad person. I know you're not a bad person, but your physiological symptoms in response to my presence in your life tell me that I'm not the right person for you. And I ended it after that first date. I was blatantly honest with him and I forthcoming. And it's important to acknowledge that there's a quote that I'll get to in my intentional recommendations, but I'll just say it now. There's finding Nemo. And I believe it's in finding Nemo, not finding Dory. So in finding Nemo, Dory says, you don't like me? And Marlon says, no, of course I like you. It's because I like you that I don't want to be with you, right? And this is how it'll have to be until you begin to regulate your central nervous system, until you begin trusting your instincts to run away from the butterflies and begin walking towards peace. Because being acknowledged and wrapped in the arms of your beloved feels like your safe harbor in a crazy world. How could you ever imagine during that time that they would do, end up doing the things that they end up doing, that you can't even imagine that that happens. This person would never do that to me. It's been done to them. Or you would think this person wouldn't do this to me because I already shared that this has been done to me. They wouldn't do that to me again. They wouldn't repeat patterns of my abusive partners or what my parents did. They know that that's what basically dropped me, that that was my lowest point. Why would they do that? Your contact is your fix. You want to keep that dopamine high. So, you put those thoughts to the back burner and you focus on, well, how can I just keep this going? Let's ride this honeymoon for as long as possible. As attachment deepens, okay, so as you're maybe slipping out of the honeymoon phase a little bit, serotonin levels begin to rise. And as they do, they bring feelings of peace and confidence and satisfaction, typically more so in a healthy relationship, but it can start to feel that way as the mask hasn't fully slipped yet. And that's only to be shaken up by the slow, insidious withdrawal and betrayal and confusion known as cognitive dissonance or the devalue phase when the narcissist or your abuser begins to really drop that mask show you their true colors and you're completely blindsided now we will talk about that in episode 10 the devalue phase so here's some intentional recommendations for the chemistry of love for love bombing so that quote from finding nemo It hits home differently when you think about it from that kind of a standpoint. Of course I like you. It's because I like you, I don't wanna be with you. Because you recognize the red flags, you recognize those butterflies that you shouldn't be chasing. The book that I got a lot of this information from was called Ghosted and Breadcrumbed by Dr. Marnie Fewerman. And that was actually a book that I just read. I posted some quotes on my Instagram, but let me go ahead and pull up some quotes here on my phone. One of the quotes that I had on here was you need to understand your wiring in order to rewire yourself. So if you understand that these butterflies are happening and that it doesn't ever lead to anything good. So now you need to understand, okay, this is happening with this person. I need to double check this. I shouldn't be around this person then, or at least get to that level. The other quote says the highs are so high that we've learned to cope with the low. And that's where the devalue phase comes in. There's another one here that talks about the flow of emotion. And so we'll go into this, I think a little bit further in the devalue phase, but it goes over kind of what happens with the triggers and we haven't really been triggered yet. So we'll go over that one, but that's a nice exercise that we'll go into. And it says, slowing down and dating mindfully requires you to tune into your heart and gut in the dating process. Now, some songs about being addicted in the love bombing phase, because these were fun as I was looking through all my playlists. So I have six songs, Addicted by Simple Plan. I love that song. Craving You by Thomas Rhett and Maren Morris. Dazed and Confused by Rule. Take Me to Heaven, Hunter Phelps. Anything She Says by Mitchell Tenpenny. Tenpenny. And Crazy in Love by Beyonce. So these are just some songs, quotes. A book, again, Ghosted and Breadcrumb by Dr. Marnie Fuhrman. I'm really quick about that book. There were two terms that I learned in this book was cushioned, which basically means, I mean, we all know what being ghosted and being breadcrumbed is. Ghosted is you've been talking to someone and all of a sudden they just disappear. They become a ghost. Breadcrumbed is they've not just gone away, but now they'll intermittently feed you something for you to get that dopamine high. That's breadcrumbing you. They're stringing you along. We have cushioned, which is plan B, when you have become an option as opposed to a priority, which people sit around and wait for. And then, you know, because that stems back to a lot of childhood trauma and patterns and their self-worth. And then the other term I learned was called stashed, keeps you sorted from other areas of their life and they're not ready or willing to admit that you exist yet. So if you're talking to someone and they don't ever put you on Instagram or, you know, their social media, they even told their friends or family about you. That's what stashed is. So those were two new terms I learned, cushioned and stashed. And I have been all four of those at some point. I mean, I've realized a lot of, you know, some of them sooner than others, but This is where if we start knowing some of these terms and we can recognize a pattern of when this happens, because it's a playbook. We just have to know their playbook. We need to know what's happening, put a name to it, that way we can stop it. Right now, I'm being stashed. Right now, he just made me an option. I am being cushioned. I am worth more than being cushioned. So we can end these cycles of abuse before it becomes to the point where we're fully trauma bonded or we keep going back and relapsing to someone who is not worth our time, energy, or love. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave me a review and you can find me on Instagram at my.healing.village or shoot me an email at myvillageofhealing at gmail.com. See you next week.